Hello, I'm Elliot Knight, Director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Welcome to Alabama Arts Radio. Each week, Council staff will introduce you to exceptional artists and special people who make the arts happen in Alabama. Alabama Arts Radio features the visual, performing, literary, and folk arts that contribute to our state's rich cultural heritage. Join us each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Central to explore the diverse and dynamic arts landscape in Alabama. Hello, this is Ann Kimsey with the Alabama State Council on the Arts. I am here in Cottondale today with Dr. Don Noble, who is the host of Alabama Public Television's Bookmark. He's also an industrious reviewer of books on public radio. He taught American literature at the University of Alabama for 32 years and is now a professor emeritus, and he is a recipient of a Governor's Arts Award among many honors. I'm here today to talk to Don about Alabama Noir, his latest short fiction collection that he edited. And hello, Don. Hello. It's nice to see you here in the house. (laughs) Yeah, Alabama Noir was the fourth anthology of Alabama short fiction that I've done over the years. The first one was Climbing Mount Chiaha, which was aimed at uh, and included only newish writers. And then uh, for fun, I did a book called A State of Laughter, which was what I thought were the 23 funniest stories ever written by Alabamians. Then Jennifer and I, Jennifer Horn, my wife and I together did a volume of short fiction by women. And then this fourth one of Alabama short fiction is noir, which presumably means they're dark stories. But but as the as we talk, I'll make it clear, they're really not, first of all, they're not that dark, and several of them aren't dark at all. And I, I've had to stress that over the last few months because sometimes when I, whatever venue, I'm talking about this book and people say, well, I don't want to read anything that's depressing. Please, no torture, no sadism, no blood. No, 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 it's not like that. Some of the stories are murder mysteries and what have you, but they're not painful. How would you define noir? How did this collection come about to collect noir? Well, what I didn't realize it uh, until I got in the mail the book Mississippi Noir, which had been edited by Tom Franklin. And everybody in Alabama knows Tom Franklin, who's done some wonderful novels. Uh, Hell at the Breach, uh, which takes place down in Clark County, is probably his best book. But the Akashic Press in Brooklyn had recruited Tom Franklin to edit Mississippi Noir. Well, as soon as I got it and I read it and reviewed it, I thought, I could do this. (laughs) There are some people who are really, really creative minds and I'm not particularly one of those, but I know a good idea when I see it, and I thought, well, I can do that. So I looked up the series, and it turns out that this Akashic Press had done a hundred of these. It is amazing. Not only did they do, they're doing uh, one for every state, but they also have a noir for most major cities like New Orleans and L.A. and Chicago. And there is a Montreal noir, Moscow Mumbai, Nairobi, New Haven, New Jersey. They've generated these collections of noir stories all over the world. There are, as I say, there are over a hundred of them. So I uh, got in touch with the people in Brooklyn and applied to be the editor of Alabama Noir. And how did that go? Well, it was a lot more trouble <laughs> than you'd think. I wasn't particularly cocky about it, but I thought, well, I've done all these things. I'll offer my services. And of course, they'll say yes. Well, it wasn't that simple at all. I didn't know several people around the state 
had asked to be the editor of Alabama Noir, and they asked me, and, and I sent a really an elaborate vita and bibliography. And what I think persuaded them finally to choose me instead of someone else was that I had what, believe me, this is all a brave new world for me, but I had what is now called a platform. I had the television show every Sunday with the Facebook Friends of Bookmark, and I had the weekly radio spot and a weekly newspaper column in the Tuscaloosa News. So they thought, well, the, the, the new calculations on selling books involve, do you have any kind of a following? And so they decided that I did. So I got the job, and then they sent me the contract, which was the most complicated. You would have thought that this this was you know really rocket science. The contract was very detailed. They had a formula for how to put together a collection of noir stories, and you agreed to follow their formula, or it was no show. <laughs> what were some of the parts of that formula? Oh, oh well, loosely speaking, it is um, diversity, but it was it was diversity in ways that I had not imagined. They wanted about 13, 14, 15 stories. Four had to be by African-American writers. Four had to be by women. And then slightly less rigid, they wanted four to be by writers that people would think of as well-known or famous. And then they wanted a couple that were newish. That was clear. But then beyond that, which I thought was really caught my attention, lots of fun, they absolutely insisted on a geographical diversity. That is, the stories had to be set all over the state of Alabama. And you can see the wheels at work here. What they, they wanted, not every county, because what do we have, 52 counties, 56, something like that. So that would be a lot of stories. But they wanted the stories spread evenly all over the state. So I took that into account. And then, then one of the clevernesses of the Akashic Press is early in the book, there's a map of Alabama. And on the map of Alabama, there's a little corpse lying at the scene of the murder in that story. And uh, they do cluster. The, there are obviously more in uh, Mobile and at the beach, and then a bunch around Birmingham. But the stories are set all the way up into the Tennessee River Valley and uh, over in Pike County and over in Clark County and all over the place. And each, each story that has a corpse has a little corpse on the map. So how did you go about selecting your authors to write these stories, or or did they have some that were no. already written? No, they, they really didn't know anything. The people in Brooklyn didn't know anything about Alabama literature. They, they assumed that I did, and I, I did because of the three previous anthologies. Well, a couple of the authors were pretty obvious. Like Kirk Kernut had written a book called Dixie Noir. Yeah. So, so well, the, there's a start. And I knew of Tom Franklin, for example, and, and Ace Atkins. Each of them had a shelf of books that were murder mysteries or stories of violence and bloodshed. And I, I worked out from there. And in the end, using the other requirements, the African-American four and the female four, and Carolyn Haynes, of course, has a series. The Bones series are murder mysteries or or close to it. I don't know if every book has a murder, but probably. So I worked out from there. And it was kind of interesting. One person declined the offer because these had to be original stories. They didn't have to be written for this book, but they had to have never been in print before. My friend Brad Watson, for example, had a story that he had 
recently written, and he said, well, let me send you this and see if it fits your needs, and it did. And the very same thing happened with uh, Daniel Wallace. Wallace had been writing short shorts, little stories two and three pages long, and they were dark little stories. And he said, said, how about a couple of those? And so, yes, that one had already been written. And in another case, which was, I I think, for me, more fun than anything, is that I had been, I can't say we were close, close friends, but I had been friendly and warmly acquainted with Winston Groom for 50 years. And he had never published a short story. I don't think he'd ever written one or published one. And I, and I, I asked him, I said, come on, write me a story. And he said, oh, no, I don't do that. You know, he writes the history books and the great big novels and Forrest Gump and so on. But I said, look, here's what I want you to do. He said, I don't have any ideas about this. I said, all right, I want you to write a story and you won't have to leave the house. I want the story to be set in your backyard, which was the Point Clear Country Club, and across the street at the Grand Hotel. I said, can you do that? He said, let me think. And it was interesting, having given him a time and a place for the setting of the story, it clicked with him, and he went ahead and wrote a short story that takes place on the golf course at the Grand Hotel and all around different rooms in the Grand Hotel. And uh, it worked out fine. Do you want to read from any of these stories? Just give our readers a sample of one of these noir stories? Well, there's a very short story, one of the three that Daniel Wallace sent. And I, I have actually asked Daniel's permission to do this. So, so it's all right. Before I read you a story, there is something else maybe that needs to be said. The standard noir plot, the plot that goes all the way back to the Maltese Falcon and the other noir novels of the 30s. It is now almost a cliche, but the detective in the Maltese Falcon says, when somebody kills your partner, you're supposed to do something about it. So the the original plot of the noir story is almost always, somebody killed my partner and I'm going to get revenge for this. And that, of course, has spread out in a million different directions. The story in this book that is the most classic, in a sense, traditional noir is Michelle Richmond, in which a woman decides to take revenge for the death of her husband, I think it is, and goes about getting that revenge and kills the man she thinks is responsible. That is the most, in a sense, typical story in the entire volume. Others, other stories in the volume move in all kinds of different directions. Some of them just downright funny. Uh, The story by Ace Atkins is a story with a wonderful surprise ending, and it stars a girl who had sort of been a Jean Benet figure, a a little child (laughs) beauty contest model. But there are stories that take place in the scenes of murder in basements, and there's a wonderful story by Ravi Howard that takes place at Atmore in the prison where a man is going to be executed. But then they get, you know, Daniel Wallace, who has a very singular personality and a very singular voice, sent me this little story, which doesn't fit into any kind of 1930s detective fiction at all. And it's not a revenge story, but it's an odd story. It's, and it has its own kind of, what would you say, social darkness. It's called The Men in the Woods. The men who live in the woods behind my house have been getting out of hand for some time. They are all in their mid-fifties, golfers formerly, and meat-eaters, jolly men in general. But since their wives sent them away to live in the woods, they have become grumpy and discontent. At night, 
They bellow and howl. They want their televisions and ice makers and chairs beside the vents. They live like animals now in badly made straw huts and eat anything that wanders too close to their turf. We know what's happening to our dogs and cats, but there's nothing we can do. Some of these men are very powerful. All of them belong to the country club. Last night from a window, I saw them leaving the woods and marching single file toward my home. They knocked at the door. What is it? I said, staring at their wretchedness through the peephole. What do you want? Your telephone, they said. We'd like to use your telephone. That's out of the question, I said. You can't come in. My wife, your wife, one said. She won't allow it. His wife won't allow it, said a second man. His wife says no, added another. She must be wonderful, the first one said. Really, I bet she is. She is, I said. My wife is wonderful. We knew your father, one of the men said. You're not your father. And then they went away, grumbling back into the woods. Later in the night in bed, I told my wife what had happened. They came here, she said. I nodded. She was appalled. I want you to go down there and tell them not to do that. Tell them never to come here again. Now, I said, it's like midnight. Now, she said. For me? She kissed me on the cheek. I walked down the little trail which led to the woods behind our house. I saw a light, followed it. The men were cooking squirrel around a fire. They were drinking coffee from old tin cups. They bellowed and wailed. But they seemed to be having a pretty good time. Hey, fellas, I said. And all the bellowing stopped. And they looked up at me and smiled. Please don't come around our house anymore, okay? They looked at each other, then into the fire. Okay, they said, shrugging their shoulders. Fine. It didn't seem to mean that much to them. All they had wanted was the phone. When I turned to go, I could see my house on the hill above me and watched as one light after another was killed and it was all darkness. It seemed I could even hear the doors shut and lock as my wife prepared for sleep. My house seemed to disappear into the black sky. I paused. Going away so soon, one of the men said. The fire was bright, warm. Yeah, said another. And just when we were getting to know you. <laughs> now, now, you could... You could, you know, you could have a kind of panel discussion about what kind of darkness that is. <laughs> it's but, like the twilight zone or something. But it is, it is some kind of odd and amusing, sure, uh, serious. Also, these are country club people, but the men are living out in the woods eating squirrel. Yeah, and they seem very compliant about <laughs> <laughs> their wives' wishes, yeah. Well, I guess you probably can't pick favorites, can you? Oh, sure, uh, You sure. can? Okay, well, well what are a question. Some of you? I don't think anybody planned this exactly. When you find 13 or 14 different people and you ask each one to write a story, they're really not going to be alike. These are people, Ace Atkins and Tom Franklin and Michelle Richmond and Carolyn Haynes and Brad Watson and Daniel and so on. These are people who are, uh, many of them have four or five, ten books. Well, Carolyn Haynes has 50 books, I think. But they have voices. And you will get back from them. You'll get a story in that voice. And you'll get a story that is what's on that writer's mind at that time. The business with Winston suggesting that he wrote a murder mystery that took place on his golf course, that was just a whim, and he went ahead and did it. But mostly what you get is whatever it is that particular writer is thinking about. And so they may all be under the umbrella noir, but they're not at all alike. You know, all these very odd personalities, you know, one after the next. And we did very little editing. Somebody asked me, you know, 
what happens when the writer sends the story. Well, there was uh, in the in the original contract as well a, a length requirement. I've forgotten now what it was, but it was not much. And a couple of the stories were too long. And I worked with a couple of writers to make them shorter. And one writer sent me a story that was 20 pages instead of 15. And I said, well, could you work on that? And she said, oh, no, you do it. So I did. I just <laughs> went through it for better or worse, took out what I thought were softer, baggy places. And nobody knows. Nobody knows I did it. <laughs> it doesn't seem to show. She just didn't want to mess with it anymore. She'd written it. Thank you. That was that. And that's what an editor does, right? <laughs> I guess so in this case. <laughs> One that stood out to me was Wendy Reed's. Oh, and yes. Of course, I, I know her outside of just reading her, but I had no idea she could write about deer processing. Or She does set the story in a deer processing place, plant room, whatever. But Wendy has a really singular fictional vision. I've been a fan of her stories all along, and I, I have one of her stories in the State of Laughter. I have a, one of her stories. Oh, I think all four books have a story by Wendy. I mean, she has a story where a mortician gives in to his whims and dances with a corpse, picks the female corpse up and waltzes around the room. You, know, you, you think, well, my goodness. Which collection was that in? Oh, I think that's in State of Laughter, I think. Okay. This one uh, I was... I remember at the end, I was like, what just happened? <laughs> well, <laughs> and, it does uh, end oddly, it, that yeah. story. But, but I won't uh, give anything away. All right, but one of the, yes, but <laughs> without giving away any of the plot, one of the things that I could say about that story, absolutely, is an element in the traditional noir story is the femme fatale, the devastatingly attractive woman who just radiates sexuality and is probably a very dangerous creature. And in Wendy's story, there is such a woman. I know this came out at a difficult time oh, it during did. the pandemic or right before the pandemic. Well, I had high hopes for this book, really. I mean, the book is fine. But when it came out, the press in Brooklyn, Akashic, set me up with a seven-city tour. Sounds like a global, but it was really just Alabama and Mississippi and Atlanta. But I was going to go over to Oxford to Square Books. I was going to go over to Atlanta and so on. And I think we got in two or three of those visits and the world closed down. The pandemic struck and nobody went anywhere. And then after things got a little loose, I did a couple more sessions and you were at one of them in Montgomery. This book does very well as a reading audience event because the stories are so clever. In fact, the story, the backstory, so to speak, to Bart Barton's piece is interesting. I had, I thought, the whole book assembled and the people in Brooklyn, they couldn't find Montgomery on a map, really. But somebody in Brooklyn noticed there was no story set in Montgomery. And they said, shouldn't you have a story set in the capital and all that? And I said, well, my God, of course I should, right. So it was Kirk who said, you know, Bart will write you one. So I called Bart, and he had just published uh, Pasture Art, I think, which was a very good collection of short stories. And I said, can you write me a short story set in Montgomery? And I need it fast. And he did. And not only did he do it, but he it's a very good story, but it also takes place in part on Hank Williams' grave at the cemetery, which is Greenwood. Is it Greenwood, the cemetery? Oakwood. Oakwood in, in Montgomery. So it was perfect. In fact, one of the things that the publisher wanted, uh, there's 17 stories, and the publisher said, you know, we can't have them all in one lump. I want you to divide them up into some kind of categories so that there are four sections in the book, four sections of stories. Well, I was happy to do that, and I had recently, while I was working on this book, I had read a new biography of Hank Williams, and I had in the past read Hank Hung the Moon and Warmed Our Cold, Cold Hearts, 
which was the Rita Grimsley Johnson essays about Montgomery and Hank Williams. So I thought, here's what I'll do. I'll I will name the sections after Hank Williams' songs. So much to Jennifer's dismay, I bought the complete Hank Williams, and I sat downstairs for a couple days and listened to all the Hank Williams songs over and over. It doesn't wear well that way. Don't do that. <laughs> Any, I mean, you might, it might wear well with Mozart, but you don't want all the Hank Williams songs over and over. And then I, what I did is I went through and I chose four Hank Williams song titles to be the section heads for the stories. And they are Cold, Cold Heart, Your Cheatin' Heart, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry, and The Angel of Death. And it turned out that Hank Williams song titles are perfect for a collection of noir stories. It was perfect. They are dark. And then you end with Marlon Barton's All the Dead in Oakwood, which <laughs> yes. is the one that where part of it takes place on top on, of Hank. On his on grave. On top of Hank Williams' grave, yes. <laughs> yes. So where can our listeners find the book? Well, the book is really in all the Alabama bookstores, as it ought to be, not because of me, but because, you know, every writer here. One of the things that, um, again, in the original contract was these writers have to have a bona fide Alabama connection. They don't have to necessarily have been born here, but there has to be a defensible, legitimate connection. And there is. These writers, some of them have moved away. Tommy and Ace now live over in Oxford, and and Ravi lives in Atlanta, and so on and so on. But uh, every single one of these writers has spent long periods of time in Alabama, often born here, raised here, None is so absolutely steady as, say, Bart Barton and Wendy Reed. I mean, they they were born here and they're still here. But everyone has a bona fide Alabama connection. So bookstores like, I mean, you you could you can put this up for sale next to the cash register, and it, it's not bogus. It's the real thing. Well, I just want to thank you so much for letting me come here and interview you and talk about Alabama Noir, which I hope our listeners will check out at your local bookstore. Well, it did sell well. It sold not as well as I'd hoped because of the pandemic and so on, but it did sell quite well. And the world of publishing these days is a brave new world. They'll never run out. There's no such thing now as running out. They print on demand. So if thousands of you out there in Radio Land run and get this book, they'll print more for you. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And this is Ann Kimsey with the Alabama State Council on the Arts, and we've been speaking with Dr. Don Noble, who is the editor of a short fiction collection called Alabama Noir, featuring many Alabama writers. Alabama Arts comes to you from the Alabama State Council on the Arts and the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture. Technical production by Deb Boykin. Series theme music, The Bounds of Beauty, written and performed by Scooter Muse. Tonight on Alabama Arts, Ann Kimsey talks with Don Noble, editor of Alabama Noir, a collection of short stories set in Alabama and by Alabama writers. Dr. Noble discusses the process of selecting writers and editing the collection. He reads one of the stories, The Men in the Woods, by Daniel Wallace. The men who live in the woods behind my house have been getting out of hand for some time. They are all in their mid-fifties, golfers formerly, and meat eaters, jolly men in general. But since their wives sent them away to live in the woods, they have become grumpy and discontent. At night, they bellow and howl. They want their televisions and ice makers and chairs beside the vents. 
They live like animals now in badly made straw huts and eat anything that wanders too close to their turf. We know what's happening to our dogs and cats, but there's nothing we can do. But first, the news. This week on Alabama Arts, Ann Kimsey talks with Don Noble, editor of Alabama Noir, a collection of short stories set in Alabama by Alabama writers. He reads one of the stories, The Men in the Woods by Daniel Wallace. The men who live in the woods behind my house have been getting out of hand for some time. They are all in their mid-50s, golfers formerly, and meat-eaters, jolly men in general. That's Wednesday, 9 p.m. Central, on Troy Public Radio. At night, they bellow and howl. They want their televisions and ice makers and chairs beside the vents. They live like animals now in badly made straw huts and eat anything that wanders too close to their turf. 